0: Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today is Friday, July 23rd. Stocks are up, my time on this program is winding down, and we're focused on why it's so hard to buy so many things. If you've tried to buy just about anything with high-end electronics in it recently, you know it's become a challenge, particularly if it's something like a car or a smart home appliance. The problem is that so much of what we use these days includes silicon chips or semiconductors, and there just aren't enough of them to go around. Some of that's because of mining and manufacturing slowdowns during the pandemic. Some of it's the cascading effect of supply chain bottlenecks from that giant tanker that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Some of it's because after the pandemic, lots of us want to buy so much so fast. The question then is what can be done beyond just waiting for things to hopefully sort themselves out eventually? There is a federal bill called the CHIPS Act, which would incentivize more U.S. chip production. And that's important because we don't produce very many chips here. The Senate did pass a version of this, but it hasn't yet hit the House floor. And even if it does, and even if President Biden signs it into law, it won't solve our short-term shortages. So today we wanted to go deeper with U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, who at a recent press conference said she is engaging almost daily with the semiconductor industry. We'll ask how we got here, where exactly we are and what we do going forward. We're joined now by U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. Secretary, people have been talking about a chip shortage for months now. Are we anywhere close to the end of it?
1: Uh, No, unfortunately, I don't think we are. There's a short-term issue and a long-term issue. COVID definitely exacerbated the short-term issue, Like all supply chains, Dan, you know, I mean, auto manufacturers severely cut their order of chips once the crisis started. There's been all kinds of issues with manufacturing. By the way, on top of COVID, there have been fires and floods and natural disasters. So there's an acute crisis at the moment, and we're working our way through that. And it is better today than it was a few months ago, to be sure. Chip manufacturers are upping their production. So I think it is a little better. But the truth of it is the long-term challenge is the real problem, which is we just don't make enough chips in America. There's no quick fix to that. We need to build more factories in America, and that's going to take some time.
0: One of the legislative efforts to do this is the so-called Chips Act, and there's kind of some different versions of it. A version did get passed in the Senate. The House hasn't taken it up yet. Why?
1: I don't know. I have spoken to Speaker Pelosi about it. She has expressed her support. I I know she's aware of the urgency. I just can't emphasize enough that we need action now. Like, I'm so uh, excited about the bill that came out of the Senate, and I am urging the House to move as swiftly as possible to pass a version similar to that as quickly as they can. The thing is, Dan, Once they pass it, then the $52 billion comes to the Commerce Department. Then we start the process of putting that money out to incentivize more manufacturing. And then that'll take a year or two to get these fabs up and running. So as far as I'm concerned, the clock is ticking and really has to happen. I can't identify much opposition in the House. I've talked to a lot of members of Congress. It just has to happen.
0: Okay. So as you say, even if that was passed tomorrow, you're talking about a while until chips would actually you know, come online and, and be able to get out the shipping door. What do we do in the short term for people and manufacturers who want cars and dish, smart dishwashers and all of that?
1: There's really no immediate easy solutions. I think that one of the things I've been working on, we've been working on is just bringing together suppliers and consumers And pushing on transparency, it's clear that there's not enough transparency in the supply chain. I think that there's not even a great deal of trust all the time in the supply chain. There's fears of certain consumers are hoarding, buying more than they need, stockpiling. So we're going to keep working on that, you know, relationships in the supply chain and transparency. The other thing is producers like TSMC, Intel, Global Foundries, they need to increase production even modestly. And I I know that they are working on that. You know, it takes a couple of years to build the new fab. They're working on it. And so I do I do think you'll continue to see improvement. You're just not gonna see that huge improvement until we have more factories in America.
0: You mentioned Intel and Global Foundries. There have been reports that Intel is in talks to buy global foundries. Is that a good or a bad thing when it comes to chip supply in the US?
1: Uh, I don't really have an opinion on that. I know that both Intel and Global Foundries are looking to expand their production. In fact, I was in Albany just the other day, actually in Malta, outside of Albany, which is where Global Foundries is. They announced a new fab, and that is a great thing. That, I can tell you, is a great thing. So expansion of those two companies is a great thing. Whether or not they come together, they need to decide that.
0: Uh, Right now, chip production is uh, a lot of it is out of Taiwan and out of China. Uh, Some of that could be subject to carbon tariffs that are in at least a version of the new infrastructure bill. How do you, as part of the Biden administration, square those two things?
1: You know, we have to meet the the challenge of climate change. So, those that's really not negotiable. That's like the, the broader question of how do we square all kinds of tension between climate change and the need to be carbon neutral with our need to produce goods so we have to do it we have to do both
0: we've heard you know, over the last 20 30 years we've heard a lot about america becoming energy independent does america need to become silicon independent
1: uh no i don't think so i don't think so i think we need to rely on ourselves and our allies and we need to have a diversification right now we are Utterly too dependent on Taiwan. That's that, that concentration of dependency is a problem. But I think if what we need to do is increase domestic production and also production in Europe, in Mexico, in Canada, in our allied countries and in America. The pro- problem now is we produce zero percent, zero percent of leading edge chips in America. And we are dependent on those chips, the majority of those chips from one company in one country. You know, it's that concentration, which is a serious problem.
0: Uh, obviously, the global chip shortage predates your time of commerce, Joe Biden's time in the White House. What do you think is the most significant difference between this administration's approach and the Trump administration's approach to this issue?
1: We're actually trying to do something about it. <laughs> this is a problem that's been in the making for a decade plus. And I think the biggest difference is we are approaching it with the urgency that it deserves. If you stop to think about how much semiconductors underpin our economy, Dan, I mean, think about your daily life. They're everywhere. It's everywhere. It's truly the building blocks of everything and increasing as we move a more digital economy. So, I mean, look, the, the president's been in office for a few months and already we have the Chips Act through that through the Senate and on its way through the House. We're just we're just clear eyed about what an issue this is for national and economic security. And we're attacking it accordingly.
0: One of the things that's so interesting to me about coming out of the pandemic is, is the way labor is and jobs are moving because of supply chain issues, right? Like, so for example, you've got all these furniture companies in the South, which are trying to hire because nobody was buying couches and chairs during the pandemic. And then there's this question of what happens to these jobs in October once we've all gotten the couches and chairs we ordered. Similar question on the chip side. You know, we have a lot of, for example, uh, auto manufacturing plants that are either idling or are really slowed down. How tied is the U.S. labor market to the chip shortage?
1: I think very tied, although what I would say is this. It's a greater problem as we think about increasing the number of fabs. So at the moment, I'm not hearing so much from manufacturers that they are slowed because they can't find talent. I do know, though, if we are going to try to build three, four, five, six mega fabs, and we have to go find 10 or 20,000 employees, that's a real problem, right? Like we're not ready to do that. And so as as a component of the work that we're going to do and, and spending the money Congress is giving us, a big chunk of it is going to have to be for job training because we're going to need thousands of engineers, quality assurance professionals, cyber people, and that We're not ready for that. And so we have to get ready for that. And I'll be doing that with Secretary of Labor.
0: U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Bye, Dan. See you soon.
0: Welcome back. This is the part of the show where we usually talk about something else in the news. But today, that something else is me. This is my final episode hosting Axios Recap. After more than three years, more than 600 shows, tens of millions of downloads, I am staying at Axios and will continue to write the daily pro Rata newsletter, but we're launching some new things here that I'm involved with, so it's time for me to hang up the headphones. So here's what I want to say with the few minutes I have left. At the end of every single episode we have ever done, I've said, thank you for listening. And that may sound like some sort of throwaway boilerplate, but to me, it's been the most important line I've gotten to say. Us journalists, whether we're in audio or video or print... We do what we do because we love to learn things and then share that information with others. And it's been my great privilege to do that with you each and every day. And I hope in doing so, we've helped you kind of make a bit more sense of the world, particularly during the pandemic and all of the political and economic tumult that came with it. So again, thank you so much for listening. Otherwise, I probably would have had to go get a real job. Speaking of thanks, I can't do any of this without a great team around me at Axios. Uh, people like Tim Shover,s Sarah Gu, Jim Vandehy, Mike Allen, Sarah Fisher, Nora Konski, Kim Shake, Lucia Orahana, Oriana Gonzalez, Adam Gracia, Justin Kaufman, Ben O'Brien, and of course our executive producer Dan Bobkoff, who has really kept all the trains running on time. But I also wanted to just quickly give a special thank you to three people who've been most involved in the show on a day to day basis. When you hear this program, you hear me. It's my voice. But when I listen to these shows, and I've been listening back to a lot of them this week on a bit of a nostalgia kick, what I hear is them, their perspectives, their hard work. That includes our associate producer, Sabina Sangani, who's become this researcher extraordinaire. She's only been at Axios for a few months, but just has this just insanely bright future in front of her. Our audio engineer, Alex Sugiara, the guy who literally makes this show sound so good You don't know this, but there are often lawnmowers and leaf blowers and other things going on right outside where I'm recording. You don't hear that because of Alex. And last, but certainly not least, Naomi Shaven, who was the senior producer of this show for most of the past 18 months. The only word to describe her work on Recap is essential. She made me a much better host and you a much more informed audience. So that's it. That's a wrap. Have a great National Vanilla Ice Cream Day. Axios Recap, guest hosted by Nyla Boodoo, returns on Monday.